Hello and happy Sunday. Welcome to Fair Voice. I am Hannah Sirach, your host. Fair Voice is affiliated with Fair Mormon, but my opinions do not necessarily represent the opinions of Fair Mormon, the organization, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for tuning in on last week's episode. Last week on Thursday, we talked with Tark D. LaCour about a philosophical worldview and his thoughts on that. It was a super great episode. In the next couple episodes, we're going to be talking about more philosophy, about a worldview, but don't worry. We have a really exciting series coming up. We're having a Book of Mormon historicity series in a few weeks that'll be starting up and we'll have four episodes featuring four different guests that will talk about evidences for the Book of Mormon and different interpretations of these evidences. I'm really excited for that series. If you have any suggestions about what you would like to see on Fair Voice, please let me know. Today's episode was a requested episode and next week's episode on multi-faith approaches while still being grounded in your own faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is also one of those requested episodes. So today we are talking about scripture study. I know we thought we were going to be talking about theology, but we're pushing that discussion due to a change in guests. We're pushing that discussion a couple weeks, and today we're going to be talking about scripture study, which is one that I have had a lot of people reach out to me and talk to me about. The reason we're talking about it now is I feel like we've spent a great amount of time talking about how to develop a worldview. And in order to develop a worldview, you need to have an intimate familiarity with the restored scriptures. So in the way of introduction, I'm going to be super basic at first, and then I'm going to talk about my own experiences with reading scriptures, what I have studied about how to read scriptures, and offer some tips and tricks for you, and then we'll go through a a quick little lesson um, together. So it should be a really great episode. So first, let's just talk about what the scriptures are. Scriptures comes from a Latin word, scribo, scribere, which means to write. And we can trace this back to the Proto-Indo-European root, scrib, and that would be uh, transliterated uh, S-K-R-I-B-H, which means to cut or to scratch. So scriptures are literally what is ha- has been scratched into something. And I find this really fascinating because we know that scriptures were originally told aloud and then later written down. So there is an oral tradition of particularly the Hebrew Bible and the Greek New Testament where people would tell these stories to one another and later on they were written down on various different forms of things such as vellum, uh, papyri, um, so that is like leather and paper and even rock and stone in some instances on scrolls as you know would, would be papyri or papyrus for the singular. So these things were written down on a variety of different mediums but they were also passed down through oral tradition. When we have oral tradition, a lot of the time we think that that means everything was lost. That's not necessarily the case. These stories would have been sacred and important, so many of the key details do remain in these stories. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints recognizes as its official scriptures the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. And in the way of clarity, we do not accept the Apocrypha, which are writings that have dubious origins to them, essentially, um, as inspired Latter-day Scripture 
what Joseph Smith said about the Apocrypha is, is that it is not needful that the Apocrypha should be translated, Doctrine Kevin, section 91. And I want to read a quote from Bruce R. McConkie about them. So just to give a little bit of background, the Apocrypha are a set of writings that are seen as, I, I put it as dubious origins, but perhaps a more precise way to put it is that oftentimes they pose Gnostic ideas and they pose ideas that are inconsistent with the generally accepted canon. So some of these writings, you have pseudepigrapha that often are lumped in with apocrypha. Um, you have different groups of these. Some of these, we don't know who wrote them. We don't know if they have if they have any authenticity to them etc. So Bruce R. McConkie said about the Apocrypha writing, Scholars and biblical study students have grouped certain apparently scriptural Old Testament writings which they deem of doubtful authenticity or of a spurious nature under the title Apocrypha. There has not always been agreement as to which as to the specific writings which should be designated as apocryphal, but the following are now generally listed so. First and second Esdras, sometimes also called third and fourth Esdras, because in the Douai Bible, Ezra is first Esdras and Nehemiah second Esdras. Tobit, Judith, the rest of the chapters of Esther, Wisdom of Solomon, Wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sirach, Barak, and the Epistle of Jeremiah, additional parts of Daniel, including the Psalm in the song of three holy children the history of susanna the history of the destruction of bell the dragon and that's also my favorite one prayer of manassas first and second maccabees and he goes on saying these apocryphal writings were never included in the hebrew bible but they were in the greek septuagint the old testament used by early apostles and in the latin vulgate jerome translated the vulgate was required to include them in the translation, though he is quoted as having decided that they should be read for the example of life and instructions of manners and should not be used to establish any doctrine, end quote. So the apocryphal writings are generally seen as writings that can be useful. Um, I believe Joseph Smith is paraphrased to have been saying that they're useful writings, but you shouldn't read them to establish doctrine, essentially. And that's my general perspective on them too. I do actually really like the Apocrypha writings, but that is a tangent. So we recognize again as, as canonized scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Now let's talk a little bit about the origins of each one of these groups of scripture. So the Old Testament and New Testament are passed down to us first by oral tradition, then by ha having them written down, then they were copied, and then they were translated. The Old Testament is originally written in Biblical Hebrew and parts in Aramaic, and the New Testament is originally written in Greek, and it is written in Koine Greek. Koine Greek comes from Attic Greek. It's a dialect of Greek. That means common Greek. It's the Greek of the people. Um, there are parts of the uh, Greek New Testament that are of higher semantic range and um, better better value in terms of how quality the Greek is. For example, Luke Acts in Hebrew are considered to be the books that are most well written, whereas John is considered not to be that well written. That's beside the point. Book of Mormon is restored scripture that was an ancient text that Joseph Smith had the plates for and then restored. Um, Pearl of Great Price, same situation. And Doctrine and Covenants we know was revealed to Joseph Smith and other prophets, apostles, and church leaders in the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. These restored scriptures and translated scriptures are integral in helping us understand 
what we need to study. When these are the focus of our studies, then I believe we can gain greater truth, light, and knowledge. The Old Testament features Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ, as speaking throughout the Old Testament, whereas the New Testament has Jesus Christ directly known as himself speaking to the people, and Book of Mormon has both, and Doctrine and Covenants also has the voice of the Lord as well as the Pearl of Great Price. So these books are of great importance to us because they detail the life of Jesus Christ in a very complete way. They include his premortal existence, they include his life on earth, they include his life after death as well, his death, his resurrection, um, but also they include what he was doing in between being born, sorry, being created by the Father, um, to use a classical Christian way to describe it, but we know Jesus is eternal. I'm, I'm saying created as in unionized, um, created by the Father and having an actual birth because we know that Jehovah in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Now you might be wondering, how do we determine what is canon and what is not? And I think this quote by Harold B. Lee is really important. The only one authorized to bring forth any new doctrine is the president of the church, who when he does will declare it as a revelation from God, and it will be accepted by the council of the twelve and sustained by the body of the church. So for example, um, Doctrine and Covenants 28.13 teaches all things must be done in order and by common consent in the church. What this means is that when we want to add, not we, but when God wants to add to the canon, he will present it for a vote through the prophet of the time. This is seen on April 6, 1830, when the Bible and Book of Mormon were unanimously accepted as scripture, but also in more recent times, September 30th, 1978, Official Declaration 2 was unanimously accepted as scripture and it was added to the canon. And so just to, just for in the way of explaining what Official Declaration 2 is, additional, uh, Official Declaration 2 is that the priesthood would no longer be based on restrictions of race and skin color. So this is added after the fact and this was added by the process of common consent. Um, so it's really interesting to see how the church decides what is doctrine and what is not doctrine. And there's a great, great talk um, that I'll pull up for you and read you a quote from. This talk is called The Prophetic Voice, and it was given by James E. Faust. And in it, um, James E. Faust says, to validate those who have authority, the Lord also said all things shall be done by common consent in the church by much prayer and faith. Yet he also said that every man might speak in the name of God. How can this be? Every man and every man and young man in the church who lives in accordance with the Savior's teachings is ordained to the priesthood. The use of this priesthood, however, is limited. Every man is to his family a patriarch and every mother a matriarch as co-equals and their distinctive parent, parental, parental roles. Members, men, and women may receive inspiration by the gift of the Holy Ghost for their personal lives and for their areas of responsibility, end quote. The reason I like this quote is because I think it highlights the importance of priesthood authority within common consent. Just as the prophet receives revelation for what scriptures need to be canonized, and I'm using scriptures in a broad sense there, um, to be considered canon, 
we may receive revelation from the Holy Ghost as to how to interpret scriptures and how to determine the truth of the canon of scriptures. So that's a brief introduction to the canon. Um, Just keep in mind that these scriptures were all accepted by common consent. And I think in a similar way, when we enter the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints through the waters of baptism, regardless of what age we are when we are baptized, we have the opportunity to exercise our common consent in accepting the canon. Because as we accept the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we accept what exactly it is that um, the church upholds, for lack of a better way to put it. Now I would like to transition to speaking about why we need to study our scriptures and the importance of doing that. And I'll share a personal story for me. When I was struggling with my faith, I decided that I would spend more time studying God's word, but I didn't want to study it just like reading a book. And I think a lot of the time when we, when we think about reading scriptures, we simply read them. Um, And I know that might be a simple way of putting it, but we are commanded to search the word of God. We are not just commanded to read scriptures. So I took the advice of a comparative literature professor that I have who said that we should sit down at a table with a pen and be active readers when we read any book, but especially the scriptures. That's when my scripture study started to really evolve. What I did is I went out and I got a bunch of different pens and highlighters of different colors, developed a system for highlighting, and also just tried to research different concepts within the scriptures. I started treating my scripture study as rigorous than as more rigorous than my academic studies. And I would like to read a quote that I think illustrates these principles. And this quote is from John A. Whitsow. It is a paradox that men will gladly devote time every day for many years to learn a science or an art, yet will expect to win a knowledge of the gospel, which comprehends all sciences and arts through perfunctory glances at books or occasional listening to sermons. The gospel should be studied more intensively than any school or college subject, end quote. And then also a more recent quote by our prophet, prophet President Nelson. It is mentally rigorous to strive to look unto him in every thought. But when we do, our doubts and fears flee, end quote. The reason why I like both of these quotes is I think they effectively show us that we sometimes don't have the right priorities and the right methods. I have definitely been guilty of the perfunctory glances at scriptures for my study as opposed to a more rigorous study of them. And then when I thought about it, one of the greatest things that God has given us is the blessing of his word. We literally have what God thinks that we should know written down in these scriptures. For myself personally, I have read the standard works many times. I've read the Bible a bunch a bunch of times and I've read the Book of Mormon more times than I can count. And you know, I'm only 22, um but I did read them quite a bit. Um especially the Bible growing up. Um I'm only 22, but I've learned so much from these books and I continue to do so. And it's different than reading other books for me at least. When I think about how to study the scriptures and some specific suggestions I have, I first want to turn to scripture study, the power of the word teacher manual, because they give some suggestions in lesson five that I think are are fun and useful. They say, 
Substitute the antecedents and synonyms. Watch for definitions. Ask questions. Substitute your own name. Memorize verses. Stress the modifiers and connecting words. Look for patterns and follow author annotations. These suggestions are really great for starting out a more rigorous scripture study. And at this point, I want to offer some of my own suggestions for scripture study, and I would like to contextualize this. The early day saints worshipped in their homes due to a variety of reasons, such as ongoing persecution, lack of worship space, habit, unclear instructions, limited availability of scripture, low literacy rates, etc. But they still gathered to break bread and worship Christ. In Acts, 50, in Acts 5, 42, we read that from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, end quote. Part of my personal worship for the last few years has included a more vigorous study of the New Testament because I find that a close connection with these early saints gives me a deeper appreciation for how I have experienced Christianity. The Oxyrhynchus hymn is an early Christian hymn that we read. Let the luminous stars not shine, let the winds and the noisy rivers die down, and as we hymn the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let all the f- powers add, Amen, Amen. Empire praise always, and glory to God, the sole giver of good things, Amen, Amen. End quote. I think that we are in tumultuous times where often we cannot attend worship services, but we still have the opportunity to worship Jesus Christ in our homes, to learn from the scriptures that we have wide access to, and to enhance our scripture study. The reason why I find scripture so so important is the Lord Jesus Christ is the word of God. The word of God is scriptures. He became so connected to the scriptures because he helped inspire them and he helped write them, not in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense. Um, He is the scriptures in a lot of senses. And in order to become like him, I think we need to partake of the scriptures so much that we have a complete understanding of them eventually. I don't think we'll achieve that in this life, but through Christ's atonement, we will. Um, We are so blessed to have all of the scriptures so accessible to us, as well as some awesome resources that can help us understand the scriptures better. Here's personally what I do for scripture study. So in terms of research, I like to look into different words. I like to look into different concepts and really try to understand the historical and cultural context of what I read. I find that this is helpful because that historical and cultural context can inform my doctrinal interpretation of the scriptures. Some good places to start are the scripture citation index, which is at scriptures.byu.edu. By the way, all of these resources will be linked in the description of this podcast. And this, you can see pretty much all the references in major Latter-day Saint talks, um, in the Journal of Discourses, and other scriptures that connect to the scripture, to the verse that you are looking at. And I find that that's a really helpful tool. You see where all the times that a prophet or apostle has referenced that particular scripture. Some other great resources are the Blue Letter Bible, which allows you to see an interlinear 
con- uh, an interlinear version of the Hebrew and the Greek Bible, so that way you can understand what the words meant in their original languages in perhaps a slightly better way than you do currently. You can click on a word and you can see where else it's used. That's a concordance. Book of Mormon Central is also a really great resource for Book of Mormon. Um, I worked with Mark Allen Wright uh, when I was first at BYU, and I was amazed by the work that he did for them, and I, I was really grateful for being able to learn about this awesome resource from him. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary is perhaps the best dictionary to use, especially when reading the KJV and the Book of Mormon in terms of accessibility. If you can, use the Oxford English Dictionary. I think that, that that's my personal favorite dictionary. However, using the Webster's 1828 Dictionary when reading the Book of Mormon is super helpful because you can look up a word and see what it meant at Joseph Smith's time, which is when he, which is the access, the access of words that he had available, right? So when Joseph Smith was translating, whether or not you subscribe to the catalyst theory or you think of it as more literal translation, whatever, um, that's not the point of this podcast. So we will have a podcast on that. Um, the words in his mind were from this period of time. So I think it's useful to use a dictionary from this period of time to understand better what he was trying to say. Those are my suggestions for some resources. Some personal things that I do is I like to dissect verses. I'll take a verse and my example will be, if you, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And what I would do is be like, okay, so what does the word love mean in this context? Where else does John use the word love? What are commandments? Where else does John use the word commandments? What type of commandments existed at this time? What did those look like? How do I understand these commandments applying to me? How does Christ's atonement enable me to have a deeper understanding of these commandments? What commandments do I struggle with following? And uh, you get the point. So by asking all of these questions of myself, writing down these questions, I'm able to direct my research and my personal thoughts in a different way than if I were to just read the verse and try to internalize it. By pondering on the word and using external resources that are really helpful and valuable, I have found that I am able to understand what is meant a lot better. Another suggestion that I have is using biblical commentaries. Obviously, some of these commentaries are better than others. Um, There's the BYU New Testament series commentaries, which I think is good for believers. Um, There are also more academic commentary series. Um, I really, my favorite commentary series that I've done a lot of work is the Anchor Bible. And I know that that's really basic, but I really like those. But you can look at a bunch of different commentary series that will enable you to better understand what exactly you are reading in the original Hebrew and the original Greek, and you'll be able to see different scholarly perspectives on the verses, which I find to be very valuable in my scripture study. Another suggestion that I have is to really follow those footnotes. So if you look in the footnotes of the Latter-day Saint scriptures, you'll see that you can reference other different standard works. They have cross-references. They also direct you to the Bible dictionary or the topical guide at times, and I find that this is really helpful. Um, For example, if you're reading something in Exodus about anointings, it might be helpful to go to the topical guide, look up anointings, look up what it says there, but also at the same time, try to read and understand external sources as to what they mean about anointings. And a lot of the time people will say, you know, I prefer the pure and simple doctrine from the scriptures. And I agree with that. I do think that the canon 
is the most important thing, the best thing that we can read, but I do think external sources help us to understand the canon better. We don't live in the time of the Hebrew Bible, so I think to say that we don't need to study anything outside of the Hebrew Bible can be a bit disingenuous, since we don't really understand what is meant there when we are just reading the Hebrew Bible in the 21st century, living in our little apartments, if you're me, in Provo, Utah. Another important thing that you can do is try to connect everything back to the Savior's atonement. Another one of the quotes that I really enjoy reads, The fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again at the third day, and ascended into heaven, and all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. And quote, that's by Joseph Smith. So if we think about it, the purpose of studying the scriptures as a believer is primarily to understand the atonement of Jesus Christ and how it applies better in our lives. Once we have that purpose in mind, I think we can have more motivation to study the scriptures, but also we can see how to connect things back to the atonement of Jesus Christ. Um, I was teaching for a religion professor at BYU, and I remember sitting in class one day as he was giving a lesson about the New Testament. I think we were talking about the Gospel of Mark, and he pulled up a quote, and I don't have the reference to it, so I'm going to paraphrase it, but I think it has a beautiful idea, where he basically said, where this person basically said, I think it was a 70, that if you cannot teach something without connecting it back to the atonement of Christ, you shouldn't be teaching it. I think that's really true because, as Joseph Smith said, the fundamental principles of our religion rest on the atonement of Jesus Christ, rest on the fact that the atonement of Jesus Christ did really happen in the way that it is described in the Bible. And I think by understanding that view, we can have a more concrete way to study the Holy Scriptures. Now let's talk about a scripture study routine, and I'm going to share a few quotes um, throughout this and then talk about my own routine, talk about the routines of others before diving into a little scripture study that we'll do together before we close today. So Elder Howard W. Hunter, he was then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at the time said, many find the best time to study is in the morning after a night's rest has cleared the minds of many cares that interrupt thought. Others prefer to study in the quiet hours after work and the, after the work and worries of the day are over and brushed aside, thus ending the day with a peace and tranquility that comes by communion with the scriptures. Perhaps what is more important than the hour of the day is that a regular time be set aside for study. It would be ideal if an hour could be spent each day, but if that much time cannot be had, a half an hour on a regular basis would result in substantial accomplishment. A quarter of an hour is little time, but it is surprising how much enlightenment and knowledge can be acquired in a subject so meaningful. The important thing is that is to allow nothing else to ever interfere with our study. It is better to have a set amount of time to give scriptural study each day than to have a set amount of chapters to read. Sometimes we find that the study of a single verse will occupy the entire time. Again, that's by Howard W. Hunter. Another quote that I really like is, you cannot have adequate faith in a Christ you do not adequately know by Elder Neil A. Maxwell 
And then I also really like this Brigham Young quote, when God speaks to the people, he does it in a manner to suit their circumstances and capacities. Should the Lord Almighty send an angel to rewrite the Bible, it would in many places be very different than what it is now. And I will even venture to say that if the Book of Mormon were to be rewritten, in many instances, it would be materially different. It would materially, materially differ from the present translation. According as people are willing to receive the things of God, so heaven sends forth their blessings. I love that quote. I think that that's a really inspiring quote. And then one final quote to share, at least for this segment, is by Joseph Smith again. Search the scriptures, search the revelations which we publish, and ask your heavenly Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to manifest the truth unto you. And if you do it with an eye single to the glo- to his glory, nothing doubting, he will answer you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You will then know for yourselves and not for another. You will not then be dependent on the man for the knowledge of God, nor will there be any room for speculation. No, for when men receive their instruction from him that made him, they know how he will save him. End quote. Love that quote. So at this point in time, I feel impressed to share a story and then segue into the next section, which is routines for scripture study. So I remember when I first gained a testimony of the Book of Mormon, I was a bit older, as I have said several times on this podcast. And I remember that there was a weekend where I ventured to read the entire Book of Mormon. The reason I wanted to read the entire Book of Mormon in a weekend is although I'd had spiritual experiences, especially with verse Moroni 741, I had decided that I needed to know for sure if this book was true. So I read the entire Book of Mormon in a weekend, and it was a very long weekend, let me tell you. It was a lot of reading. I felt, you know, that crusty feeling of being super tired because you barely slept? That's how I felt. And at the end of that, I decided that I would pray with all the sincerity of my heart to determine the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. And I'm going to read the promise that obviously inspired me to do this that many of you know. Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men, from the creation of Adam even down until the time that ye shall receive these things and ponder it in your hearts." And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things, end quote. I prayed and did not receive a witness at the first time that I prayed. And I was a bit disheartened by that. And then later on, I think it was the next day, it was either the next day or two days from then, I was sitting in my room on my bed and I had this really strong feeling and impression that I will never forget. It felt like heaven was in my room. I felt so much love from my heavenly father. I felt like he entirely cared about me. I felt like he knew who I was. I felt like he knew my name. And I just had this strong impression the Book of Mormon is true and the Word of God. That was the phrase that entered into my mind. And I had not yet heard President Nelson say that it is not enough to say that the Book of Mormon is true. We need to also say that it is the Word of God. That phrase resonated so clearly in my mind and my heart. It was an out-of-body experience for me. I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted the Book of Mormon to be true. I had some 
problems with it at the time, if I'm being completely honest. But that phrase, the Book of Mormon is true and the word of God, was one of the strongest spiritual impressions that I've ever had. And since then, I've had many other witnesses that the Book of Mormon is true. But I want I want to remind you that, you know, as we talk about studying the scriptures, it can be easy to be bogged down in the scriptures as an academic study. And I do think that scripture study should have an academic component to it. But as I've said before, part of the reason that we do it, and the, the most important reason that we do it, is to become better people. Not that scholarship makes you a worse person. Scholarship, I think, should make you a better person. But we should seek to have a spiritual experience with the scriptures and have that be the primary motivation behind our scripture reading. So I just wanted to share that, but let's talk about a routine. I've seen a, I've seen a couple of routines, so I'm just going to briefly share mine and then share a couple others. Um, I have a less traditional routine for scripture study than I think most people do. Um, especially during the school year, what I like to do is I have set time in the morning and set time in the evening. My morning time is generally for whatever scripture study I want to have. Um, right now, I'm studying Moroni 7. And I'm also studying Mosiah 2 through 5. Those, that's what I'm studying. I'm studying Mosiah 2 through 5 for a month. Um, I know that seems like a long time, but I want to really get into charity. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts about charity, but that's for a different time. So I'm studying that. And then in the evening, I am doing Come Follow Me. And I'm doing some things from the Hebrew Bible. I feel like I need to understand the Hebrew Bible a bit better. I just finished up Genesis a couple weeks ago. So I started on Exodus and I'm on Exodus 4. And so my scripture study is pretty simple. Um, I first do the question thing where I mentioned earlier, where I basically ask a ton of different questions about verses. And then I go off to different resources. I learn more about what the individual words mean, where else they are used, the historical context of the verse. I write little paragraphs about it. And then I try to liken the verses to myself. I pick a few verses per chapter that I write down on index cards that I try to memorize. Then, so I have these cute little index cards. My friends have seen them. Um, I also have the cute little uh, composition notebooks that I sometimes do it into the mini composition notebooks that are like the size of your palm. So I write down these verses that I want to memorize. And then in between classes, coronavirus is different. Obviously, I don't have many in-person classes, but before in between classes, I would take the 10 minute period of a break that I had and I would just read through those verses over and over and over again. So that way I could try to memorize them. So for me, that's what works is to have two separate times because I do believe that I should be staying come follow me. However, I do have other scripture reading goals for myself. Um, something else that I've seen that people do is I have a friend who wakes up at 5 a.m. and he reads scriptures for 30 minutes, then does family history for 30 minutes, and then reads scriptures for 30 minutes, and then does more family history for 30 minutes. And that really works for him. He's just doing come follow me um, as it is the Book of Mormon, and he thinks that that's perfect for him. And I think that that's probably perfect for him because the Lord has different plans for us. And I, I respect that. Um, someone else one of my other friends, in between classes, um, she's trying to get into the habit of developing scripture state. So in between classes, she reads the Book of Mormon. So she'll read a couple verses in between each class period. And then that totals up to be like 30, 40 minutes of scripture study because of the way that works. I think that that's really helpful. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. I have friends who do it at night who will take 
15 to 30 minutes at night and just sit down and read whatever they want to read and then afterwards do some research um, on what they have read to better understand the scriptures. But the moral of this, the point of this, is to become more like Jesus Christ. And I truly believe that an acquaintance with the Holy Scriptures does in turn make us more like our savior. I know I have been greatly and deeply blessed by my scripture study. I cannot live without my scripture study. I I cannot express how much the scriptures have saved me and how acquainted I feel with my savior because of them. Scripture study is perhaps the most important part of my day and I have found great value in trying to become like Jesus through studying the scriptures. Because of my scripture study, I have found that I am able to relate scriptures to people when they need them the most. I am able to convey the word of God. You know, what I say sometimes is good, sometimes is is bad, but what the Lord says is perfect. The Lord speaks to the hearts of men and the hearts of women everywhere that he goes, and he does this through the scriptures. So the way that I see it is that when we are trying to help other people, when we are trying to help ourselves, there is no better place that we then we can go than the scriptures. If we are able to relate scriptures to one another that we feel impressed by the Holy Spirit to share, the Holy Spirit can use those scriptures and additional inspiration in order to bless the lives of the people we are trying to serve. We read in the scriptures that the scriptures are breathed out by God, right? That's from Second Timothy. We read that they are breathed out by God. And if we have that that view in mind, it's kind of like the double Holy Spirit effect. You read a scripture that was crafted by God, and God uses that scripture to speak to an individual in a way crafted by him again. And that's just what I love about scripture study is I feel like it gives us the opportunity to learn by the spirit, to learn by study and faith in an important way. If we feel that it is important for us to get college education, which I feel like for myself it is important for others, there are different paths of education and employment that don't require a college degree and these are equally valid. But if we feel like it is important for us to better ourselves in some way, shape, or form, by the education that we receive, then we should also recognize that integral to ourselves, perhaps the most integral to ourselves, is our scripture study. And I want to, at this point, bear my testimony of the Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. I testify that these words come from God. I testify that God appeared as Jehovah to several people in the Hebrew Bible, that he was as present in their lives as he's present in our lives. I testify that the law of Moses was implemented at that time so that people can better understand the coming of the Messiah. I testify that in the New Testament, Jesus really did come in the way that it is written. I testify that he preached to the people repentance, that he cried repentance to them, and that he established a church on earth, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I testify that the Book of Mormon is inspired. I testify that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon from the Golden Plates using a method that I am not completely aware of, but I know that he translated them, and I know that it is an ancient and historical record. I testify that the Doctrine and Covenants was revealed to prophets and apostles for the bettering of our church, that we might understand the covenantal relationships that we have one with another. I testify that the Pearl of Great Price was given to the earth by God. I testify that it is an ancient historical record as well. I testify that 
these all testify that Jesus is the Christ. I know that because there are these witnesses, those are the evidences which I can then use as in as we read in Alma 32 and 33 in order to build my faith, in order to understand who Jesus is and develop that relationship with him. My covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ has arisen because of scripture study and because of prayer. I know that Jesus Christ speaks to us through the scriptures. I know that we can speak to him through prayer. And I am so incredibly grateful for the scriptures. And I, ha- I know that they have blessed my lives recently. These things and the fact that Jesus is the Christ and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true are what I testify of today. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And at this point, I'd like to transition into a scripture study. So the verse we're going to be studying primarily is John eleven thirty five. And you probably are going to be like, okay, Hannah, why are you picking perhaps the shortest verse to study? And you'll see pretty pretty quick on. So I'm going to just read the verse for you. Um, so this is John eleven thirty five. It reads, Arakrusen ho Jesus. Um, in other words, Jesus wept. So let's first talk about the immediate context of the scripture. When I say immediate context, I mean, you know, what's going around this verse? So what's going on around this verse? What happens before and after? So the context of this verse, um, and I'll just read from, I'm using the, the New International Version. I'll read a couple verses to give us some context. Um, so, Basically, Jesus has healed. Jesus has heard about Lazarus, um, who is very, very sick, um, and then he died. So Jesus heard about this, and he heard that Jesus he heard that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And Mary and Martha are super upset about this. And the first thing that Jesus does when he sees them is he weeps, because they are upset, and he mourns them. He mourns with them. Then, immediately after this verse, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But let's look at the context outside of that. So, we hear about the death of Lazarus in the beginning of this chapter. And then, at the end of this chapter, we hear about the plot to kill Jesus. And I feel like this chapter shows a foreshadow to the resurrection, right? Because it's establishing that Lazarus dies and that Jesus has the capacity to resurrect him, to raise him from the dead. And in the same in the same chapter, we hear that there is a plot to kill Jesus, and this acts as John's foreshadowing that Jesus, although he will die, will be raised by the dead to by himself. So that's the immediate context of this verse. But let's talk about the historical context of this verse. An important thing to understand is that there are intricate burial rituals amongst all ancient people, but in particular amongst the Jews. So parts of these burial rituals are exemplified by the verse, and you can read about those more um, in different historical sources. But that's something that you can look into is what did they do with their dead? Why does this matter? How does this help us understand resurrection? But one thing that I would like to do at this point is to look at the individual words. So let's look at the word for weeping here. So if we go to the concordance, so the word for weeping that we see here has one occurrence within the Greek New Testament, and the word is dakruo. Um, And dakruo means to basically weep silently, to shed quiet tears. Um, to cry. Um, the one use of it is the, the use that we read, obviously, and I find that this is a really interesting word 
And here's why. So if we go down further to look at the etymology of this word, we see that it has connections to weeping for a particular cause. If we go to the Little Scott Dictionary, um, that's little, not little, um, we see that other uses of this word are used when mourning the death of individual people. That seems to be the main usage of this. Um, there's, it, it can mean to flood them with tears. It can mean to be distraught because of tears, to lament. This, ha- this word has a very interesting connotation. It really means to just outpour with grief for someone. And the reason I like this verse so much is that we see that even though even though that Jesus clearly knows that he will raise Lazarus from the dead, even though he knows this, because the structure of the chapter alludes to this, right? The structure of the chapter alludes to Jesus knowing that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead and raise himself from the dead. He still takes the time to weep with people. He still takes the time to mourn with people. And that's what I love most about this short little verse. So questions that you could ask yourself are, what's the word for weep? Where else is it used? And you can look at the classical uses of this word because we see that it's not used again in the New Testament. You can ask yourself, why does Jesus weep? Where else does Jesus show grief? And then my mind immediately goes to, in the Gospels, in the Passion narrative, when Jesus is upset. And we can read we can read in Matthew 26, 38, um, then he said, to them. My soul is consumed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep with me. And I'm going to just keep reading because I I feel like this section kind of exemplifies what we're talking about as making these connections. So we continue to read in verse 39 and um, reading from the KJV for those of you who are wondering. Um, we continue to read, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "O oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt." And he cometh unto the disciples and found them asleep for sorrow. Sorry, and found the, findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, "What could ye not watch with me one more hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is weak." Sorry, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, end quote. The reason I I made this connection, right, because there isn't that word for cry there, but there is this idea of grief, is that we see that Jesus grieving in this instance is him acknowledging that he doesn't necessarily want to do the atonement. And I think we can all relate to that. There are instances in which I want to do something, but I don't want to do something. I'm going to elaborate on that because that's a weird phrase. I always want to read my scriptures in the sense that I want to become more like my savior. So I want to keep the commandments. But does that mean that every single second of the day I want to read my scriptures? No. And does that mean that every single, there there aren't some days that I wake up and I'm like, you know, I kind of wish that I could do something more fun than reading my scriptures that's the case sometimes and i'm being real with you i'm being honest that's the case so i think that we see with this concept of grief that there is a greater want beyond the lesser want in jesus here and we can see that again in the verse that we read jesus wept he's grieving the death of someone does he know that it will be resolved yes like he knows the atonement will be resolved but does he want to experience this does he want his children to experience the sorrow that they're experiencing no not necessarily so these are the types of questions that can lead you down different paths to try to understand what the scriptures really mean so i make that connection to grief another another question that i would ask myself is am i adequately mourning with people when people come to me and they are upset, am I mourning with them or am I correcting them? And I think that that's one 
that we can all use as an example. So that's just a short little exercise for you on scripture study. And I want to emphasize again that scripture study begins with you. It begins with you pulling open the scriptures. It begins with you diving into the word of God, using the resources on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints website, and finding additional research resources that help you build your faith. I am so grateful for the scriptures. I'm grateful for all of you too. Um, next up, we're going to be talking about an interfaith approach. Um, we're going to be talking about how to still be a believing member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and be appreciative of different faiths, the concept of holy envy. I know that that will be a really interesting discussion. I also know that that's kind of a hard ground for a lot of people because we want to see the truth and beauty and light in other religions, but we still have truth claims. So how do we work through this? Got to be a great discussion. We have more coming up on philosophy and we have Book of Mormon historicity. Again, thank you all for listening. I'm Hannah Siriak, your host. Feel free to email me at h-s-e-a-r-i-a-c at fairmormon.org with any comments, questions that you may have. This was Fair Voice on Fair Mormon and I hope you have an excellent day.